Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it has broadcast continuously for over 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show is also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival of which I am the founder and director along with the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which premiere in New York City every October and then travel the USA and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. Go to dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com to find out when we'll be where. I am so delighted to be able to invite Dr. Linda Rhodes back on the show. I was fascinated to talk to her when I first met her because she's been a kind of guiding light in the pharmaceutical industry for animals and been a developer of several extraordinary medicines for for animals, but also for humans. And that intersection of human and animal health and wellness and medications or drugs is really interesting. I think the phrase one health has kind of been bandied around. Linda, does, does that phrase mean anything to you or is it just kind of a a kind of a flippant phrase, one health? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. One health, I think, means a lot. Uh, and people are just starting to explore, really, the extent of what it, what it means. But to me, it means that we're all, it, everything is interrelated. I mean, humans yes. are, just, are just mammals. Um, you know, dogs are not small humans. Cats are not small dogs. But right. we all have a, lot in, we have a lot in common. Yes. And it also relates to the environment and the fact that the environment plays a role both in human disease and in animal disease. And we can learn from all those interconnections in a way that's kind of harder to learn if you don't understand how these things all relate. So I think One Health is a, is a great way of expressing um, how people are beginning to think about our biology in a more inclusive way. And that's something that 
you've been doing throughout your professional career, which uh, to those of you that didn't have a chance to listen to our first interview um, at the end of last year, I, I really recommend it. Linda's a truly fascinating woman. She doesn't just ha- doesn't just have a doctorate in in medical uh, as a veterinary medical person, but also a PhD, and is on the board of some really interesting companies. Zoetis, which is a hugely large and famous and and powerful and successful animal pharmaceutical company around the world, but also as a consultant to Loyal the company that I know you guys heard me talk about this amazing new longevity drug, drug, and she's been instrumental behind the scenes in that. And you only recently, Linda, told me about being on the board of Dalen, which has created the first ever bee vaccine. That's an amazing thing to, I mean, there's an animal helping with an allergy to an animal. I mean, I know bees aren't yeah. animals per se, but talk a little bit about that because I think that the more people understand about how drugs are created out of thin air, that it's not thin air, that they come from uh, some historical background. So talk about that one. I My brother nearly died as a child from a bee sting and went to a very old lady in Connecticut where he, he and his family and my family um, had lived, and she stung him with dozens or hundreds of bees. I don't know how many, but it was, at the time, the only way you could be safe and it worked but i have no idea if the b vaccine works anything like that did you know about that old lady she was written up in newsweek when no. i say old she was in her 80s when he saw her and he was three <laughs> that's a great that's a great story well even the b vaccine kind of illustrates the one health idea that that you know bees get bacterial infections just like people do uh and the vaccine technology um has to be quite different because their immune systems are so very different from mammals but there is a way to stimulate their immune system to make them immune. So, so yes, the science behind that was invented by this amazing scientist in Finland, um, brought to the U.S. Um, it's a venture capital-supported company, and, and they just launched the very first bee vaccine ever approved. It's for a disease called American Fowl Brood, and uh, bee raisers all over the country are, um, are really excited about it because it's really the only way to prevent this terrible disease from ruining their beehives. So, you know... That's a whole different story from human drugs going to animal drugs, but um, I think it's a really fascinating story. It seems like a bridge that that you can go back and forth on. I mean, we we all know that bees are essential for pollination, essential, butterflies too, but without bees, citrus trees and all kinds of crops, never mind your pretty flowers, can't survive. And these bees get these, have been getting, I don't know if it's one terrible disease or more than one. So a way to save their little lives is selfishly essential to us as humans who want to eat some good stuff, right? And we don't, we don't have to inject each little bee. We, what we do is feed the vaccine to the queen and then every egg she lays is immune. Um, so it's a pretty simple way to administer it. People are asking, how can you vaccinate bees? Well, you don't. You, 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 know, you, you give it to the queen, she eats it, and every egg that she lays is then is, is carries immunity. So wow. it's, a fasc- it's a fascinating story. It's a, if, you have, if, you, if your listeners want to look at it, it's www.dalenanimalhealth.com. It's got a really interesting story. But, yes, it's going to have a big impact, and it impacts our food production, which, you know, kind of gets back to the how everything right. is interrelated. That's right. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about this human and animal drugs, because I, I think it's a fascinating new thing that's been happening over the last 10 or 15 years, that biotech companies that are developing things for humans 
have started to realize that that, that dogs get cancer too. Dogs get kidney disease. Yes. Cats get kidney disease. Um, dogs and cats get heart disease. And instead of testing their their new drugs in laboratory animal models of disease, there are there are companies now that understand that it's they can test their cancer drugs in dogs that have naturally occurring cancers yes. that are similar to people. You know, the most the most studied one is osteosarcoma, and there's now a um, there are joint conferences now where veterinarians treating dogs with osteosarcoma, veterinary oncologists, and human oncologists who treat kids with osteosarcoma have come together to, to learn from each other uh, and to share their expertise and to, sh- and to try out the drugs that are in development for kids um, with dogs. So you can actually see, you know, you can see them in a real world situation. So bi- human biotech companies have woken up to the fact that there's a market for some of their technology that's not their traditional human market. Um, and some of, these, some of these molecules are coming to animal health, which is terrific for, for our patients. Terrific for the four-legged patients who otherwise uh, might be like the the poor stepchildren at the at the far end of a drug being developed for humans, and then maybe the dogs will get it later. But of course, exactly. the dogs' lives are so short, and once the dog already has cancer, it's a ticking clock. And anything that and all of us, I believe, with our dogs, if we could afford it, or there wasn't a charge, or we had health insurance, please get pet insurance. Um, would say, sure, try anything. Try anything. I mean, yeah. the dog's only going to live X years, and you're telling me he's got six weeks. Well, what if I got six months? And it was quality exactly. of life because the dogs react differently. If it's chemotherapy, it doesn't flatten them out the way it does humans. But the same thing with humans, with especially certain kinds of orphan cancers where there's so little known and no treatment. And if there's chemotherapy trials, people line up for them. They hope... They yeah. cross their fingers. Please let me in. So that that's such a drastic disease that anything that the biotech world can come up with is met with open arms. But if you do it on mice in a laboratory, it's it's a long stretch to know how that might work on a dog or a child, right? Well, we can cure a lot of cancer in laboratory and mice, but <laughs> right. and those those cures don't don't necessarily translate into a real world situation. I, I have to give credit to Dr. Sean Kana. Who was at the NIH, and he convinced, and he's a veterinary oncologist, and he convinced the NIH that it made sense to test a lot of their new therapies in naturally occurring tumors in dogs. And he created a, a whole network of veterinary oncologists to participate in these clinical trials, wow. which helped help the dog patients, but also gave a tremendous amount of information um, that could be used in the development of these drugs in humans. So it was his idea, uh, probably around 15 years ago that this made a lot of sense. And then the NIH gave quite a bit of funding to support this kind of approach. And it, it really was a breakthrough in terms of um, veterinarians talking to human oncologists and vice versa. Well, what what was the, the study that was done at Memorial Sloan Kettering? I believe Philip Bergman was the veterinarian who did it. And it was, I never understood how that was one health exactly, even though he explained it really well. Even I was, and I consider myself kind of sharp about this. I didn't understand how it was, was it oral melanoma in boxers or something? And how they studied it at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is clearly not the Animal Medical Center. So how... I mean, you know so much about all this. I, I hope I'm not catching you off guard by asking, but that was a study that was 
in dogs that were then going to translate I, to humans? Yeah, I, I know that Phil, Dr. Bergman was working on uh, a, a melanoma treatment um, that was way ahead of its time. It was about, it was many years ago, and it was quite successful in dogs. And then I think it caught the attention of the human oncology world. Um, and they brought him in, I, 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 I hope I'm getting this story right, as an expert who had been developing this yes. for years. Um, and, and so that was a translational medicine ex- example. Um, there's, a, there's a number of them, but you know, it also goes the other way. There was an um, animal drug, um, I'm sure you've heard of it, it's called ivermectin. It was one of the top antiparasite drugs ever developed. It was originally developed for use in cattle, and then it was the very first drug that was ever used for heartworm in dogs. Yes. Uh, and it was used for parasites in a number of farm animals. Um, but then they realized that it also worked on human parasites, oh. and Merck developed it and took it to Africa and used it to cure river blindness, which is oh a parasitic disease in humans. So that's a good example of a drug that went from you know production production animals, cattle and pigs, and into dogs, and then uh, and then into humans to cure a devastating uh, parasite disease in Africa that had been you know really taking the eyesight of thousands of Africans for, for many years. Um, was so that's it little, a good example of a drug. Was it little worms from, in the river? They would It would enter their body through their bare feet or yes, something? Yes, exactly. Yeah, there was a life cycle that involved the snail and the river exposure. Yeah. And so when they would when they would get exposed to the to the larva, they, it, would, it would migrate into their eyes and, and blind them. Um, and it was, it was a devastating disease. And Merck donated a lot of this compound wow. and... Uh, the, the CEO of Merck, Roy Vagelos, was instrumental in taking that animal drug and repurposing it for humans. Um, and it did a lot of great things in the world, did a lot of good in the world. So it can go both ways. I mean, that's the interesting thing about the One Health approach. It, it can go both ways. Since we're mentioning ivermectin, I think as rational, intelligent, well-educated people, we do have to say that ivermectin was abused and the misinformation was <laughs> rife. During a period of time, I don't know if it was mostly in Florida or where exactly it happened, ivermectin was never intended to be taken by people who had COVID. It was never what the drug was for. And COVID was not a parasite. So um, we don't want people to be confused and say, oh, (laughs) ivermectin is a good thing to have on your shelf, folks, uh, if you get the common cold or the flu. If if you have a roundworm or or, or a... Or a parasite in your eye, it would be it would be a life saving drug, but it has it does nothing to virus infections. Correct. So we just want to make that really clear. So if you've come back from an exotic trip somewhere and you've had to see an infectious disease expert on Park Avenue or the equivalent, perhaps it would be appropriate. But um, it, it is an extraordinary idea. Heartworm is so devastating in dogs. I mean, it's actually a worm that goes into the lungs and it kills the dog, and the treatment is harsh. I mean, the dog has to be kept totally still or mostly still for months and months and months while this drug kills off the worms, parasites that are in the lungs. And this is another example of, of again, One Health because we're getting more and more um, heartworm disease. It mainly had been in the south. Now it's starting to move into the central part of the country and even some uh, northern um, areas. And why is that? Because of climate change. Because there's more oh. mosquitoes, and the mosquitoes that carry the parasite right. um, are up farther north. So, you know, again, it's all related. You know, the, the animals, the insects, the environment, 
um, the, the way that we use the drugs. It, it's uh, people have have to have a bigger picture Definitely. of how these things all fit together to really understand the dynamics. But yeah, we we have more heartworm now, and when you think about it. We all have had heartworm dogs in the last 25 years. It's, it's been fairly recent. And before that, the dogs would just die. So, um, it, you know, the, the medicines that are developed um, by, the, by the pharmaceutical industries have made a tremendous positive impact for, partic- for veterinary medicine, but obviously for human medicine as well. Yes, and I think that somehow the idea of big pharma, people think of, I don't know, opioids and how, you know, oh, all these people are addicted. And so big pharma becomes like, two bad words together, big pharma. Pharmaceutical companies have done just miraculous things for people and animals forever. And if whatever they make might be abused, as in ivermectin abused, or opioids abused, we should be grateful to big pharma. I mean, I often think about that. I had a puppy who got parvo even though he was vaccinated, the vaccine may have been ineffectual or the timing may have not been good. And I somehow got him through it. But I mean, puppies die from parvo. It's a horrible and highly contagious disease. So we don't respect or appreciate or admire enough that, wow, there's a vaccine that keeps my puppy alive and all the other puppies he might come into contact with. And And not only is there a vaccine, but now there's a treatment that has been pioneered by Elanco Animal Health. It's a monoclonal antibody against canine parvo just came out in the last few months. Wow. Um, and it's saving lives because, wow. again, there was not a treatment for this no. bad viral infection that would kill puppies. Uh, now there's a monoclonal antibody that's available to, to treat these, these dogs. So um, another example, monoclonal yes. antibodies were only used in human health for many, many years. Everybody said they couldn't they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be useful in animal health because they were too expensive to manufacture. Well, we got the manufacturing costs down, and now companies are coming out with monoclonal antibodies that treat a variety of things, including um, parvo in, in, in puppies. That's amazing. That's a, that's a, yeah. Because I'm sure people in animal shelters, as well as breeders, good, responsible, loving breeders, they have whole, whole litters wiped out. Or if parvo goes through a, a shelter, takes out all the dogs. I mean, particularly the younger, more fragile ones. That's fantastic that... Alanco could do that. There's so many great companies, and we've run out of time, Linda Rhodes, but I'm so proud to know you and so grateful that you're on the board and a consultant to so many really extraordinary companies, all of them pushing forward the boundaries of what we know and what we can do for people and our pets. So thank you. Thank you for being part of the conversation and part of the solution to problems. I really I, I admire you and these companies very much. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. I hope you enjoyed the show. There were a few more special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dry food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaraner Maisie will eat. The show is also brought to you in part by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients to gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. 
They founded and run their own company and answer to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. My dogs love it every single day.